This is Science 2034. 20 years ago, the Science Coalition was formed to strengthen federal support for basic scientific and engineering research. We tell the stories of what federally funded research has made possible and what will be reality 20 years from now. Today's guest, Dr. Jennifer Reed, Associate Professor of Chemical and Biological Engineering at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. So currently we have one primary way of producing biofuels from lignocellulosic biomass. So you take what you have on the, the field. So this would be things like corn stover, which is a you know, the stalks, for example, that is left on the field. Um, you'll then take those, that, that biomass, that plant material, and you'll break it down into simple sugars. So these are things like uh, glucose and um, xylose, for example, are two of the dominant sugars that you find in plants. Um, and then you need to convert those sugars, once you've um, harvested them from the crops, uh, you need to convert those sugars into uh, fuels. And so these can be fuels like ethanol, as well as people are looking at advanced uh, biofuels as well. So other things like butanol, isobutanol, as well as some uh, potential replacements for, for jet fuels as well. Am I correct in understanding that the work that you're doing today is as much about increasing the efficiency of these processes and coming up with new processes to make use of all of the biomaterial that's there? Or, or is there something else at the heart of this research? Yeah, so currently, if we look at what we can do today, the efficiencies that we get uh, are maybe 80% in terms of, if we look at the amount of sugars that we can harv- uh, isolate from a plant material, um, we can convert um, those amount of sugars to about 80% efficiency, and uh, for example, in terms of ethanol. So that means there's the potential to make 20% more ethanol uh, above today's processes. Uh, the challenge though, um, in addition to kind of improving the efficiency, um, is that, as I mentioned earlier, there's uh, multiple types of sugars that you release from plants. Um, and so m- most microbes only prefer uh, glucose. So glucose, while it is the dominant um, sugar in plant material, uh, there are other sugars at significant levels, xylose, for example. And a lot of microbes don't like to eat the xylose. So it's kind of like a plate of food where you're only eating one part of the plate and you're leaving the other uh, food on the plate. And so another big challenge is to figure out how to get those microbes to eat these kind of less desirable sugars and convert those less desirable sugars um, into biofuels as well, whether it's going to be ethanol, which is kind of where people are um, uh, currently uh, commercially looking at, uh, but also kind of um, looking further on into other types of fuels as well. As I mentioned, um, isobutanol and butanol, as well as uh, replacements for uh, jet fuels, for example, too. You are the project leader at the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center. Talk to us for a second about the work that's going on there and its implications for energy future here in the United States. Yeah, so the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center is um, funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, And so it's a collaboration between researchers at University of Wisconsin-Madison as well as Michigan State. And so there people are looking at different types of the kind of the biofuels um, or biomass to biofuels problem. Um, So there's people looking at uh, the plant side is how do we um, efficiently engineer plants so that they're easier to break down into these simple sugars. Um, And then there's people looking at how to make that the breakdown more efficient. So you can use enzymes, which are proteins, which catalyze reactions. So you can use 
enzymes to convert the plant material into free sugars as well. And so people are looking at trying to improve the efficiencies of these enzymes and improve their uh, catalytic rates um, as well. Uh, then there's people, um, for example, like my group is interested in trying to then um, engineer microbes to convert these free sugars into biofuels. Um, and so there's a number of people who are looking at different microbes to do these processes. Uh, so organisms like E. coli, um, the non-pathogenic strain of E. coli, I should mention, um, as well as yeast um, and uh, Zymomonas mobilis is another bacterium that can also do these types of transformations. And so we're looking not just at um, ethanol as one biofuel that we're looking at, but within the center we're looking at the production of other um, uh, biofuels as well, whether they're going to be derived from fatty acids, which are long-chain hydrocarbons, um, or um, other fuels like isobutanol. And then another part of the center is um, looking at the overall kind of sustainability questions related to biofuels. Water is a, is a major issue, not just here in the U.S., but uh, across the world. Uh, is this a, a balancing act of whether it's worth growing this stuff, or can we even afford to do it? One of the challenges within um, the center is to try and develop crops, for example, that are more, uh, for example, drought tolerant, right? so that would be able to um, grow with less water. Right? And so um, there's definitely kind of engineering um, efforts that are going on to kind of improve um, not only the microbes that we use to convert the plant material into, um, into fuels, but also the plants themselves. Talk to us for a second about your thoughts 20 years hence. Science 2034, the Science Coalition Initiative, uh, looking forward to what the world could achieve, what it will look like with well-funded science. Where do you see your body of work taking us in 20 years? So with basic research, we're going to be able to enable the commercialization of um, biological pr processes for chemicals, um, which include biofuels, but also other bio-based chemicals. Um, and so this will allow us to be uh, less dependent on other countries to provide the materials that we need to um, drive our cars and run our cars, um, as well as um, to produce the chemicals that we use, for example, in like plastics in our water bottles. Right? So being able to be uh, less dependent on um, foreign sources uh, for these materials is going to be really critical for our national security. It'll also have um, impacts on in the environment as well. So currently most of the chemicals um, that we have today come from the petrochemical industry and so there they're using a lot of fossil fuels to produce these uh, chemicals. And so when the chemicals are broken down then there those that carbon is released into the atmosphere is CO2. Um, so CO2 is a, one of the greenhouse gases. And so what happens when you use um, bio plants, for example, to produce your chemicals is that these plants are then capturing that CO2 that you've put into the atmosphere and putting it back into the products, as opposed to using fossil fuels, which is carbon that's already stored um, kind of in the earth that allows us, would then in increase the amounts of, of CO2 in the atmosphere. So by using a biological-based process, you're going to be uh, producing less CO2 um, uh, in the atmosphere. To the layperson, it sounds a lot like the extension of our 
global movement towards recycling, that we have material that's already been created that has all kinds of opportunity to be reused or tasked in a different way. Is that accurate? That's, that's a great way to put it. Yes, it is very much like a recycling, whether you're looking at it in terms of recycling of CO2 or carbon. Um, but also, we, if we think about the biofuels, it's also um, an area of recycling the plant material as well, right? We're kind of not leaving material that could be used for other purposes. We're trying to make use of um, all the material that we're producing and, and trying to put it into our products that we, that we uh, utilize and need every day. The United States has a very strong and long history of agriculture, agribusiness, uh, being the, the breadbasket for the world in many ways. What are the implications for this kind of technology on farmers, not just corporate farms, but replacing certain crops with other kinds of material that better lends itself either not for the food chain at all or directly uh, injected into this energy harnessing uh, system that you all are looking at? Yeah, so the USDA and the DOE um, came out with a report a few years ago that looked at how much biomass do we have um, available currently in the U.S. And so they estimated that there's about a billion dollars annually that could be used potentially for the production of uh, transportation fuels, for example. And so basically without any changes to kind of the cropping systems, for example, and only using material that's not being used for food, not being used for um, fiber and forestry products, um, that there would basically be enough to uh, surplant essentially, is that the right word? That there would be enough to uh, replace 30% of our the tr liquid transportation fuels that we would need, right? So this uh, wouldn't necessarily have any impact on how we do agriculture today, but it's basically making use of what we already have and what we're not using. Achieving the the effective use of the science that that has been developed in your labs and in other places requires training the next generation. You all have made uh, great strides of late. Talk to us for a second about the importance of federal funding and what it is to continue to keep your lab running, including the projects uh, that you're supervising in other places, and training those postdocs and, and, and the next generation of scientists. Yeah, so I think uh, we think about basic research and um, it typically, if we think about it, is a long-term investment. And so it's something that uh, companies uh, can't really afford to, to go through and do, right? So the benefits can take, you know, 5, 10, 20 years for you to see the outcomes of these things. Um, but it's really important, and it, they lead to the discoveries that we make in basic, basic science research uh, really allows us to um, make new products, make products more efficiently, and new processes. So the outcomes of research really are the development and more efficient um, development of new products. Um, and in addition, the other important aspect is the people, right? We're training the next generation of scientists and engineers uh, who are then able to go into companies and bring the knowledge that they've gained through their research experiences. Um, so this can be undergraduates, for example, who do research in our, in our labs um, that learn cutting edge technologies on how to solve uh, some, of these, the, some of these problems. Uh, in addition, it's the graduate students that we work with um, who learn how to um, uh, plan a research um, project and how to uh, formulate hypotheses and how to test these hypotheses. Um, and it's the postdocs also that come back and do additional training as well. And so all these people um, typically either go on into industry or go on into academics. And so I think one of the challenges we see now is that uh, with kind of cuts in research funding, uh, there's less people interested in doing in the academic route. And so my fear is that, you know, in, in 20 years that we'll have fewer 
people kind of pursuing an academic route, uh, but it's critically important for kind of our national interests, uh, training um, our, our next generation of, of scientists and engineers. Dr. Jennifer Reed, Associate Professor of Chemical and Biological Engineering the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Thank you for joining us on Science 2034.